the sacristan is taking the remnants of the precious blood in 10 chalices and squirting detergent, dove soap into all of them and washing them and, and, and th that's it. I stopped him, I said, what are you doing? He said, well, this is the way we clean the chalices. I said, this is insane. And anyway, I, I, I took over and after we were done, I've done, mass is finished. I said to the pastor, Monsignor, I said, do you realize that the, that the sacristan, what's the problem? I said, what's the problem? <laughs> I said, what do you mean, what's the problem? I said, I said it, this is the precious blood of, of, of Christ that's left over from mass. You don't dispose of it this way. It's outrageous. He said, you know, I'm going to tell you something, Father. If you don't like the way we do things here at St. Such and Such, you can, you, can, uh, you can go elsewhere. While Pope Francis and many of his friends in Rome seem to be wanting to crush the Latin Mass, there's all sorts of liturgical abuse going on. In fact, just this week at LifeSite News, we featured a Switzerland so-called Catholic church, by the way, in a diocese that is headed by a bishop who supports same-sex marriage. I'm not kidding. You can't make this stuff up. Anyway, <laughs> right in that church is featured a woman seeming to celebrate Mass with a priest. You got to watch it for yourself. See this. Miteinander das feiern und erfahren, was er am Abend vor seinem Leiden und Sterben mit seinen Liebsten gefeiert hat. Immer, wenn ihr das miteinander feiert, verschenke ich mich von Neuem an euch. And that's what we're going to talk about today on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show, and we've got a great guest. Father Charles Murr has been on a number of times already. He is the author of Murder in the 33rd Degree, but he's also a priest who was involved with various bishops and cardinals in the Vatican, who has given us some of the most deep insights that we've ever seen. He's been such a popular guest, he's been asked to come back again. Stay tuned for this episode. Father, welcome back. Thank you, John Henry. Thank you for having me. Father, if you wouldn't mind leading us off with the sign of the cross, that would be awesome. I wouldn't mind at all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Amen. So, Father, you saw that clip of the woman doing, I don't even know what to call it. Tell us what you make of that, and uh, give us your, your take on all of these things. This latter part of my life, I've used the word outrageous so many times, it's losing its impact. It's outrageous. It's just outrageous. Outrageous. There's so much wrong with it to unpack it would, uh, would, uh, would, would take too long. It's, just, it's simply wrong. It's simply wrong. And any, any good Catholic knows that. Uh, why, the, why these bishops, and there are many, there are many, tolerate such things isn't a mystery. It's not a mystery. That's what they want. They're not tolerating it. This is fine for them. When we were, you and I were talking just a little bit before, uh, I could name, besides what we just saw, a hundred other liturgical abuses. 
that I've seen in my life. Some of them incredibly strong, horrible things, others less, but equally wrong. I don't think the same thing could be said. Could the same thing be said about, about the Latin mass? Do, do you know of any liturgical abuses in the, in the traditional Latin mass? I don't. And I've gone to, I've gone to hundreds of them, thousands of them. And I, and I say that, that Latin mass, uh, the traditional Latin mass every day. I, I, as a matter of fact, if you're following what it is, the way it's supposed to be said, you can't liturgically abuse it. <laughs> you can't. It's impossible, right? Anyway, uh, but all of that is tolerated. All of, the, all of the, these horrific things are tolerated. And the thing that is not tolerated, not tolerated, is the Latin mass. That's not tolerated. What's wrong with this picture? I used to have a friend who would say that often. What's wrong with this picture? A lot. If you could describe for us, so the way this came about, you know, it was after the Second Vatican Council. It was by the Concilium. They decided, they made the changes, but it seemed, at least from a historical perspective that I've read about, that the insanity almost launched from the beginning, and obviously it continues to today, but... Tell us from your experience, what, what have you seen? Right from the beginning, it started in Rome. It started in Rome when, when Bonini, Archbishop Bonini, decided he was going to redo the entire liturgy. And, uh, and he had, a, he had a, a lot of help with that. All, everyone who was involved with it was, was, uh, was a liberal in the, in, the, uh, in the worst sense of the word. And they had an agenda. The, the Second Vatican Council says beautifully that not one word of the Roman canon is to be touched. Let me just back up a little bit, just a moment here. There was a particular need for some liturgical renewal in the church. There's no question of that. Even Pope Pius XII himself was beginning, was beginning a, re, a liturgical renewal. Now, when I say that, by no means am I talking about what we have today or anything like what we have today. Uh, Mother Pasqualina, who was Pius XII's secretary for 42 years almost, was a, a very dear and close friend of mine. We, we met many times a month over for, for many years. Uh, and she told me that Pius XII himself, first of all, in China, had permitted the mass to be in Chinese when the missionaries were going there. They couldn't, they couldn't start in Latin, which is completely foreign to any experience that the Chinese would have of, of religion. He gave permission for the mass to be done in Chinese to begin with. And when people would become educated in the faith, then it was to go into the Latin. But they, that's, that's where they would begin. Why? Why? Because a lot of our viewers are, are not Latin mass Catholics. Why? would you want to switch to Latin? What is it about Latin that's so important in the first place? Most people nowadays are experiencing Mass in, in what we call the vernacular or whatever, you know, English or Chinese is, is there. But why would the Holy Father want to switch back to Latin? What's, what is it about Latin? One of the things key to, to, uh, to having Latin and to using Latin, it gives very well the idea that the Mass is not being directed to you. I'm not speaking to you. It's like it's like I had I had two altar boys the first time that they that they they helped serve the Latin Mass, and and I was teaching a little bit. 
they got, we got back into the sacristy and I said, well, you did very well, boys. You did very well, thank you. And one of them said, but I didn't understand anything. And I said to him quite simply, I wasn't talking to you. It's directed to God, the Latin mass. It's not just the language. The entire Tridentine mass is directed to God. That's who we're talking to. And everyone else, I loved, I loved the, 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 the comment that, uh, uh, who is the actor who just converted to Catholicism? Shia LaBeouf. Yes, Shia LaBeouf. I, I love what he said. Listen how, how beautiful this is. He said he had gone to Novus Ordo masses with guitars and hallelujahs and, and somersaults and everything else. He said, and what did he say? He said, I always got the impression somebody was trying to sell me a car. I love that. I love that. And did, did you see did you see Bishop LeBaron's uh, uh, face? Uh, Fred, priceless. Anyway, but he said this. He said, and the Latin mass was almost as if you were being pulled into something. You were being taken into something and elevated. Or words to those effect. The Latin makes it very, very plain that this is not about you. Of course, it's for your benefit. Don't get me wrong. But we're directing everything toward God. The position of the priest is toward God. This is the idea. When I was a boy, when I was a boy, one of the first comments that I said as to my grandmother, she would take me to, to mass on, on, on Sundays and I would be over at her house for the weekend. I said, but why does the priest have, the, have his back to the, to the, to the people? I, I don't know, five or six or seven years old, whatever I was. And she said, because he's, he's, he's directing his prayer to God. I said, well, that, you know, that's, that, that doesn't make sense because we can't see it. She said, she said, do you remember the other day we went on a bus? It was the first time I'd gone on a bus. And I said, yes, yes, yes. She said, would you like the bus driver to have turned around and started talking to us while we were going down Robert Street? Would you like that? I said, oh, no. He said, well, that's the same idea. We're going towards something together. And Latin is conducive toward that. It is, it is, it's also something else that's very important. And I, I just had an interview the other day in Spanish with, with uh, Luis uh, uh, Ramon, uh, Roman. What a great guy, huh? great guy. We were talking about the same thing. And, and it, it's, uh, it, it's this, we use Latin, we're the Latin writer of the, of the Catholic Church. Latin is the language that is ours officially. And listen to this irony, and it's a beautiful irony. It, what, what, I have two great ironies that I love about the Catholic faith. One is from the First Vatican Council, the dogma of faith that says you do not need faith to know that God exists. Reason can bring you to the, to the fact that God exists. Now, listen to this. You do not need faith that God exists. Dogma of faith. <laughs> it's a dogma of faith. It's beautiful. It's, a be it's beautiful, right? But the other one is that Latin, that Latin is a dead language. My father used to say that German was a dead language. And when I went to go study in Austria, I said, German is not a dead language. It's quite alive. And he said, no, no, no. He said, it's dead because only the dead have enough time to study its grammar. <laughs> anyway, Latin is a, is a dead language. And that doesn't mean that it's, it's passé and it's, we should bury it. It means that it has stopped developing as a language. Every six months to a year, 
some words in English, especially in American English, will change meaning. And, and then, then you have these crazy verbs like to get, to get up, to get out, to get over, to get around. And they all, everything means things, and, but, but it evolves. It keeps changing. Latin is finished. All of our dogmas are in Latin. Scripture is in Latin. If you want to know what it means, you have to study it. It's not going to betray you and change. This is why it's a stability. It gives a great stability to the faith. And this is why the, the official language of the church is still Latin. But it also has a wonderful, beautiful, mystical sense. And when the priest is talking, he is talking to God. And, and this is this is the this is the, if you will, for us, the language of God. It's a mystery in itself. And it's beautiful. And if you say that people don't understand it, that's not true. People always understood what was going on in the Mass. They always understood it. Those who wanted to understand it, understood it. Those who never want, didn't want to understand it, never could. They just couldn't figure it out. That's it. But they never gave any time to it. It was always understood. I understood it when I was 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 years old, 15 years old. We understood. We knew exactly what was going on during Mass. But its beauty... It also, also, you'll, you'll pardon me, but I have, I have a degree in, also in, in Romance language, so I'm a little bit biased in this, right? The sound of Latin, the sound of Latin, it, its cadence is beautiful. It's music, it's like Italian. I don't think there's anybody in the world who hates the sound of Italian, except maybe a couple of husbands. Do you remember, there's a, there's a YouTube video that talks about the word ambulance, ambulance, but in German, it comes back with Krankenwagen. So it doesn't work so well. Doesn't work, does it? No. <laughs> it doesn't do it. So, but there's a beauty. And if anybody who's listening knows Spanish or knows Italian or Portuguese, even French, the rhythm and the rhyming is so fantastic because of all of the use of vowels. And it just sounds beautiful. It sounds musical. It sounds harmonious. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I think people need to hear that because that's where there's a lot of confusion because the arguments really haven't been enunciated very well. And, and so people are left wondering, what's with the Latin anyway? Um, but wanted to get to what you've already experienced. As a priest, you've seen uh, thousands of masses, probably many, many more than anyone else will. You've seen, you've mentioned, you've seen a lot of abuses. Give us a couple of those just to tell us where we're at right now and where we really need to go. Let me just back up a moment. This man, Annibal Bonini, an archbishop, who was in charge of liturgical reform, read that teaching of the Second Vatican Council that the Roman canon was not to be touched. Not one word was to be touched. You'll forgive me for this little, little detour I'm going to make. John the 23rd, Pope John the 23rd, knew very well, I'm not saying he's not a saint, all right? But he knew very well that he was elected to die. He was elected to die. He was a placeholder. And he knew that. And when you tell a man that he was, you're elected to die, the collar goes up a little bit. Oh, really? Oh, really? Well, let me show you. <laughs> so he called a council. That wasn't in the, that wasn't in the, in the, in the works at all. He also, when the council declared that nothing was to change in the Roman canon, he said, well, I'm the Pope. I'm adding St. Joseph. And there was a whole group of, of, of 
of, 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 of in the in the College of Cardinals and of bishops like you can't do that you can't do that not a word is to be added he said well I'm the Pope and I'm adding Saint Joseph right now we applaud that because we love Saint Joseph but if you look at the legal problem of it it was something he said no I'm here I'm alive you might have you might have been elected me to die but I'm I'm, I'm breathing and I'm quite well right the council anyway went into this this whole thing on you can't touch the Roman canon so Bunini started changing everything else around it. Now, when we say the Roman canon, the canon of the mass is from the Sanctus, holy, 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 the, 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 the three times holy, from the Sanctus um, until the great Amen. Through him, with him, and in him. I'm forgetting it in English. Uh, and that's the canon. That's what cannot be changed. So Bunini said, all right, we won't change it. And it was to remain in Latin. Now, one word was to change it. It was to remain in Latin. Bonini said, well, all right, we won't change that. We'll just invent three more. And which is what he did. These are the Eucharistic prayers. Now, I, I've said this before, it, it, and it almost sounds like I'm making this up. But the, the Eucharistic prayer, number two, is probably the most used. It's the most, it's, it's the most common. It's the one that everybody knows. Why do they know it? Because it's so beautiful. Because it's it has such rhythm and such cadence, such flow. No, it's the shortest. It's the shortest. That's why it's the most popular. Luis Bouillet, who worked with Bunini for years and had no time for it at all. Luis Bouillet, and later on in life, had a conversion. And he really saw a lot of what he had worked on with Bunini as wrong. But one of the things that is most incredible. And I, and, I, and I want your, your listeners to hear this because it's, 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 it's outrageous. He made a certain confession before he died. And he said the following. You can read it in his autobiography. I'm not, it's, it's public. He said, I was told on short order that the, the second canon that I was working on, or the second liturgical or Eucharistic prayer, we call it Eucharistic prayer number two, was to be on Bunini's desk at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, right? That, that's, we had been working on this. So I was in a restaurant. He writes this. I was in a restaurant in Trastevere, having pizza. I don't know what he's having, whatever he's having, calamari, whatever. And he started writing out. He spent an hour and a half, two hours or whatever, writing out the second Eucharistic prayer and had it on Bonini's desk in the morning. So it was, it was written in an in a, in a osteria in Trastevere. This isn't this isn't the mass. Our mass, the canon of the mass, is two thousand years old. Parts of it, it goes back to the apostles. It, if there are any changes that are made, they were usually additions to, not subtractions from. Additions to it from different liturgical experiences. This, that, and the other thing. We call it the the Tridentine Mass because the Council of Trent by order of Pius the Pius the Fifth. Pius the Fifth said, look, we've got this right over here, that right over there. It's going, we're going to make one solid right. So there not be differences in every place. And it's going to be called this is the Roman, the Roman uh, missal, the Roman mass, right? That's it. But to say, to say, it, I mean it, it would it, it, people wouldn't believe you if you said, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to invent a new mass. I'm going to sit down here on a cocktail napkin and write out a, a, a new canon for the mass. 
And then you're going to use it from now on, and you're going to use it as if it were the word of God. But you and I know, know that it comes from a trustevere uh, osteria, right? After a couple of glasses of wine. I once saw a side-by-side -side comparison. And in a side-by-side -side comparison, they show you, in fact, it's done in Mass of the Ages, has done it as well. They show you what they delete. And you're deleting prayers that are listed as the timeline from apostolic times. Yes. How do you even think to do that? Just a quick note before we return, if you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. You're dealing also with a lot of people who were ignorant on liturgical matters, even priests, because before the council, priests were taught how to say the mass. There was only the mass. It was the mass, period. You were taught how to say it, and it was done this way and that way. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an aspect about the mass that I said to somebody joking the other day, but it wasn't a joke. I'm serious. When I say the Trinitine Mass, Every single thing has a movement, a motion, what you're supposed to be thinking, a bow, a straight up. This You are so into it, doing everything. Your body and your soul are involved in it. You don't have time for a fleeting thought. <laughs> oh, oh I, I thought of this during that. No, you, no, 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 you're, you're there. It's, it's, you're, you're concentrating on what you're doing, and it's beautiful. Uh, you don't just take a mass and add things to it and then throw things out. You don't do that. And that's what that was what was done. When people saw that that could be done, what I'm telling you with with Boyer is something is a new revelation. We only just found out about that a few years ago. But they suspected people suspected this all along, that these were just creations of people. Well, if they can create these things in Rome, and then we had Mass for children, mass for grandparents, grand, mass for uh, yodelers, mass for this, mass for... When, when priests started seeing that, they said, well, anybody can create anything. Yeah, well, sure. Well, let me throw my personality into this whole thing. So now you have the mass of Father Bob and the mass of Father Ted and the mass of, uh, of this one and that one. And I have never seen two priests say the same mass. In the Novus Ordo, I've seen a hundred priests say the Tridentine Mass all the same. It's all the same, but I've never seen two priests say the same Mass in the Novus Ordo, because it's about the personality of the priest too. And this is this is what Leboeuf was saying when he was talking to to Bishop Barrett. It's exactly what he's saying. I felt that somebody wasn't selling me a car. Well, what is he talking about? The personality of the priest is the most important thing in the mass. No, it's not. No, it's not. That the priest gives you his back. He's not giving you his back. What he's doing is disappearing to you. He's disappearing to you. He is becoming not me. Not me. It's not me. If you can't see me, that's better. I want you to see Christ. That's, that's, who, I'm, that's who I'm representing is Christ. There's a whole mysticism to the Mass that is no longer there. 
And if you you would just said you mentioned this too, uh, and it's a good observation. It's a fine one. Prayers were changed. Go back and look at the changes of those prayers, John Henry. All of those prayers were changed this way. Anything that referred to sacrifice out, crucifixion out, immolation out, uh, the 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 uh, transubstantiation that something out. All of those are out. They were all taken out of prayers. Amazing, just amazing. So that we altar the altar. You don't want to talk about an altar. No, it's a table. We're not. This is not Good Friday. This is Holy Thursday. If it's anything, it's Holy Thursday, right? What we forget is this. I was one time in, invited to uh, uh, Santa Rosa to preach at all of the masses. There were eight masses, I believe, at the cathedral. So, therefore, I had never attended eight masses in a row, <laughs> right? but I did on, on that Sunday. I think it was the and and the feast was Corpus Christi. That was the feast that, of of this Sunday. I'm listening. I'm listening to mass for the. It's the first time in a long time I'm I'm hearing mass. I say mass every day. I offer mass every day, but the, one of the first times that I'd heard mass in a long time. And I'm listening to mass after mass after mass. Finally, in about the fifth mass, I heard something that I don't think I had ever heard before. I was kneeling in the, in the, in the sanctuary, and I heard the priest say very devoutly, devoutly, the, the good priest said, this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for many for, for the forgiveness of sin. This is what will be present tense, future tense. And it just struck me right then, good Lord, what the priest is saying and what Christ was saying at the Last Supper is this right now here, Thursday, Holy Thursday, this right now here with you at this Last Supper is what tomorrow will be offered on the cross. I never heard that before. And it, it hit me. It hit me so hard that I, I think I almost started crying. This is what will be. And what do we do at Mass? We say, this is what was. We pull the past into the present as Christ pulled the future into the present to make himself present. This is what's happening. And what's really the problem, and you know it and I know it. You know this very well and I know it and most of your listeners know it. The real problem with the new Mass is that many of the people who are celebrating it, not offering, they don't offer mass, they celebrate it. I'm no one to judge the internal thoughts and conditions of, of anyone. But it's certain, let me put it this way. It gives me, by all outward signs, the idea that the person who is celebrating that mass really does not believe that that is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't get that idea. That Let me just put it this way. That doesn't come through. That does not come through. Therefore, people have lost their own faith in it. And when they see how the Eucharist is treated, they lose more faith in the real presence. And it becomes like any Protestant service, a communion service, whatever they call them. 
in different, you know, of the of the forty thousand different Protestant churches, they all have their own sort of a communion thing. That's all it is. That's all it is. That's why at 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 weddings, funerals, this that, and the other thing. When I was I was pastor of three parishes in Manhattan, I, I cringed every time I had a funeral or a wedding because I knew the majority of the people who were going to receive Holy Communion had no right to do that. And that if they knew what they were doing, and I think a lot of them did, they were committing a sacrilege. And so I would have to announce at every funeral and at every wedding, please, those who are able to receive, right? And I always put this, I always put this, those who have not broken the fast, I put that as first reason. Why? Because the other reason is too obvious. I mean, what, what am I saying? Anyone in mortal sin can't come to communion. Yeah, yeah. All right. So what are you saying, right? So I said, remember, one hour you're to fast before communion. If you haven't done that, this is church law. Please don't come to communion. Well, that, that, that helped a little bit, but not really. This is why I, I, I love when people would come and kneel and on the tongue receive. You know why? Because non-believers won't do that. People who don't believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist have no problem going up and receiving the, receiving the, the, the wafer, they call it the wafer, in their hands. Because they don't believe it's anything. It's a sign, it's a symbol, it's I'm doing this and you're doing this and aren't we nice? It's, it's the church of nice, right? However, if you tell people, no, to receive who is Jesus Christ in this sacrament, you have to kneel in adoration before him. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, that's, that prevents a lot, of, a lot of sacrilege. It certainly does. People, if you would tell a Protestant that that's, this is the body, or a Protestant or, 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 or somebody of the Jewish faith or a Muslim or what have you, who, who would otherwise go to communion at a, at a, at a funeral or, 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 or something, and I understand them too. They want to participate. They, I'm doing it for Fred, who's dead. I, you know, this, this whole idea, they don't get it. I understand. But if you would tell them, no, you have to kneel in adoration to receive that. Well, I'm not going to do that. I don't believe that. Well, good. You shouldn't be receiving. All of those things were eliminated so that people could quite easily, informally uh, uh, receive, receive the, 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 the host. It's really a hodgepodge. It's really sad. What I'm very happy about, very happy about, is the resurgence of the Latin Mass. I never thought I would see this happening in my life, and it's happening everywhere. I just got a call this morning from, from, uh, from someone in, in Australia. They're just starting another group of Latin Mass there and here and there. It's amazing. It really is amazing. And I'll tell you something else. This is a confession, and I'll bring it up in my next confession. I'll confess this. I'll confess this, and I'll confess it publicly first. It delights me to some degree. It delights me to some degree that people in Rome find this so bothersome. I'm saying to myself, if it bothers these people, this must be good. If you can know a man by his friends, it stands to reason that you can know him by his enemies as well. And if this upsets people, that people are having more devotion to the Blessed Sacrament and they're getting into the Mass more and people are converting and coming into the... And it upsets these people. There's something wrong with those people. There's not something wrong with what's happening. Again, no liturgical abuse out here. There is there. 
Let me just tell, let me, let me give you one example. When I'm talking about a priest as a priest, I went to a parish. I was invited to a parish to speak. I'm there and communion time comes. And we, you know, there are more people in the sanctuary than there are, than there are in the pews. There, everybody's up there. And they're, 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 I said, do you realize that the, that the sacristan, what's the problem? I said, what's the problem? <laughs> said, what do you mean, what's the problem? I said, I said it, this is the precious blood of, of, of Christ that's left over from Mass. You don't dispose of it this way. It's outrageous. He said, you know, I'm going to tell you something, Father. If you don't like the way we do things here at St. Such and Such, you can, you, can, uh, you can go elsewhere. I went elsewhere. Him, they made a bishop. <laughs> right? This is, I mean, these are the things that you're seeing, and, and I know what's going on. I know what's happening. I know what's happening. And it's to devaluate, lessen, lessen, lessen the idea of Jesus Christ truly present in the, in the sacrament. That's what it is. And that's what it comes down to. And that's the whole problem that we're facing today. People don't want our Lord and Savior not to be in the blessed sacrament. They want him there. He said he was going to be there. He is there. They want that. And for some reason, a false idea of ecumenism, Rome and Rome's prelates, many of them, most of them, I would say, don't want that. This is, this is what we're facing. I'm very glad you gave that example, Father, because it, it actually illustrates what you said. It's hard for the faithful, who actually believe, to think even that a priest exists who doesn't believe, let alone that a bishop doesn't believe. But it is true. By your actions, you shall know them. When you see a parish that has that, the, the, the parade of extraordinary ministers, most of whom are women, <laughs> go up on the altar and, and um, come out in droves, and uh, if you're if you're traditional minded, you have to play a game to avoid them uh, to try and get to the priest. It's it's uh, it's a horrific game that that many people have had to play. But a lot of these things they speak to an unbelief in the actual presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. These stories are horrifying. One of the things that we heard, I heard early on, and this is in the early 90s, that the uh, Newman Center um, at a particular university was was also, after Mass, pouring the precious blood down the sink. They're hard things to hear. Bishop Schneider, when he was talking to me about the result of Holy Communion in the hand, and the fact, therefore, that we are trampling our Lord under our feet, it's very true. If you've ever seen the video with a guy with gloves on, and he puts an unconsecrated host, but a host anyway, into his gloved hand, removes it, and shows you the uh, leftovers, if you will, the the particles of the host that are there. Every altar boy knows of that, because if there's an altar boy who holds a paten, usually at every Mass, if it's a large Mass, you're going to have particles of our Lord on the paten. Uh, and then... Most often, when there's no patent, when there's, uh, you know, communion in the hand, they're swept onto the carpet somewhere. John Henry, look, at look, just what you're saying is very important. It's very important. If, let me just do it this way. If that's the body of Christ, it's very important. If it's not, who cares? Okay. But 
Let's go now to the Tridentine Mass. What is the priest after the consecration? What is his stance at the altar? These two fingers don't open up again because they may have particles of his own host in them. Imagine that. It's only open to, to, give, to give communion to the... He remains like this as a sign. This is, this is how we respect the body of Christ. We are worried about a particle falling off. The priest takes his, the patent and cleans the corporal of any particles and puts them in the chalice. It's, you could say it's scrupulous. It's not scrupulous. It, I had a bishop in Mexico. We built a beautiful chapel. He came in to see the chapel. I mean, the chapel was gorgeous, not dead, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. The best, the best for the Lord. And I mean that. The bishop walked in, the bishop of the diocese said to me, well, you have the tabernacle uh, in, in the center. He said, the new liturgical norms indicate that the tabernacle should be brought off to the side. I said, those are norms for the Basilica of St. Peter's in Rome. Her St. Mary Majors in Rome, her huge basilicas, cathedrals, where, where it, things are lost. They're not for a chapel, right? He said, well, I still think, I said, I'm going to tell you something, Bishop, with all due respect. And he was my bishop. This, this made me very popular, you can imagine. I said, look, we here happen to believe that this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in that tabernacle. He stays in the center. If it is not, I don't want him on a side altar. I don't want him anywhere. Out. Get, get rid of it. It bothers me. Out. But if it happens to be our Lord and Savior, why in the world would I put him on the side so that you could have a chair in the middle? Are you kidding me? Well, that went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> and it's not that they don't understand. They don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear this. I don't know what they've got in their heads. But I keep remembering St. Athanasius. And when I hear Vigano, and when I hear Bishop Schneider or, or Cardinal Burke, when I hear men like that, I remember Athanasius against the world. You know, that was it. We stop and think of England in the time of Henry VIII. It came down to one bishop. Only one was a faithful Catholic. All the rest, sure, we'll go along with it. If it means our head, losing our head, well, who would want to do that? We'll go along with that. Only one bishop and Thomas More. We're going through the same thing now. We're going through the same thing now. It's a shame that, we, that this is happening. But I do believe, and I mean this sincerely, uh, I'm not a Pollyanna. I really believe this sincerely, that all of this is happening for a reason. It's happening for a reason. Do I know what the reason is? No, I don't. That's one of the great things, the great joys that pulls me toward the goal of getting to heaven. I really want to get to heaven for a lot of reasons, but one of the great reasons is so that I can understand so all the things I didn't understand here. I want to know the why. I want to, and you know what? I will know the why. I'll know the why of everything. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to enter into heaven. I look at it this way. I'm going to enter into heaven and just go, oh, wow. It's all going to make sense. 
it's all going to make sense. This is one of the wonderful things about, about, uh, about having a clear mind when things begin to make sense. I've talked to many alcoholics and drug addicts who have come out of alcoholism and drug addiction. And almost to a man, to a woman, they say, what the most beautiful thing is, I've regained clarity. I can see clearly. I understand what I was doing. Right? Well, that clarity, that clarity is enough to people for people to change their entire life just to maintain that gift. Imagine that gift magnified infinitely in heaven, that kind of clarity. And all of this is going to make sense. What it does, what doesn't make sense today will make sense then. That's what we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to go to that goal. I remember that Fulton Sheen told that story about the, about the, the, uh, the, the, the matriarch of a family, very matronly, very wealthy woman came in to talk to the sister about her, her son, Reginald. And, it, you know, when, the, when the, the parents had to go to see the teacher conference to see how this kid was doing. And, and she said, to, she said to the nun, sister, sister, now, now Reginald is a little bit upset. Reginald is a very delicate child. If Reginald misbehaves, sister, don't hit Reginald with the ruler. Hit the child in front of Reginald. Reginald is a smart boy. He'll understand. <laughs> well, anyway, I don't know where that's going. But here, let me just let me let me just give this, if I may. Chapter six, St. John's Gospel. Our Lord talks about the institution of the Eucharist. He, this is the first time he talks about the Eucharist, chapter six, St. John. And he says the following. Listen, to, listen how beautiful. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood has life in me and I live in him. I am the bread of life. The bread come down from heaven, not like the bread, the manna that your fathers ate in the desert. Well, they ate and died. Who eats my body and drinks my blood will live forever. I give my life for you. My body is true food, my blood, true drink. Who, drink, who eats my body and drinks my, and he repeats and repeats and repeats the same thing, right? And at the end, he ends saying, who eats my body and drinks my blood lives in me, who does not, does not live in me. The Pharisees and Sadducees, other followers that he were, the apostles, the 12 apostles are over here. All of this group of people, hundreds probably, who were following him said, is this man insane? Here, listen how, how, how deep this. Who can listen to what he's saying and not want to vomit? He's telling us that we have to eat, chew, eat his body and drink his blood. Outrageous. Out, the man is insane. That's enough. We can't stomach this. Cannot stomach it. Then they left him. Now, had our Lord been a politician, he would have said, no, 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 come back, come back, come back. Let me explain. I didn't really mean it that way. He turned to the 12, the apostles, and said, do you want to follow them? You can still catch up. They're right here. And St. Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where would we go? You have words of eternal life, and we have come to believe that you are the son of the living God. This is the gospel according to Charles Murr, right? Okay, so if, if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm wrong, right? But 
Peter, Peter was saying, Lord, we haven't an idea. We don't have a clue what you're talking about. Not a clue. But because you say so, we're staying right here. And then right after that, our Lord talks about the betrayal. One of you is to betray me. Okay? Good. Now just take that. And now let's go to the Last Supper. Right? There at the Last Supper. Our Lord takes bread and says, this is my body. Take and eat. Takes a chalice of blood uh, of, of wine and says, this is my blood. Take and drink. Can you imagine the relief of St. Peter? Because all this time he's thinking that he's going to have to literally eat the body of Christ and drink his blood. And the irony is, the paradox is, yes, he literally is going to do that in a different way. But the relief, Peter must have said, oh, this is what you were talking about. But this was so important that you made it the sine qua non to following you. You either accept it or you don't. And if you don't, you have nothing to do with me. I have nothing to do with you. It's very strong, very strong, these words. This is what it comes down to. Do you believe or do you not believe? If you don't believe, do what I do what I said to the bishop, the bishop. I don't want it even on the side altar. But if it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, why in the world is it not going to be central? Why in the world would we be treating it as nothing? Why in the world would we, would we be desecrating and committing sacrilege with this? Why would we do that? When saints and ordinary people died. I could tell you stories of the Mexican Revolution, the Mexican Civil War, the Cristero War in Mexico. Lay people who died defending the Eucharist, taking the Eucharist out of, out of the tabernacle to defend it from the, the atrocities of, of the, the government soldiers. They died holding on to the Eucharist. Priests who were killed bringing the Eucharist to, to, to the sick and dying. These are, these are heroes and heroines of the faith real people who really believed. Uh, we've got to do some real changing here in, in, our, in our thinking and in the way we do things. Because the way I treat things, John Henry, the way you're a friend of mine, the way I treat you shows how much of a friend you are. If I disrespect you, it shows how much of a friend you are not, or we are not. Right? The same is with the Eucharist. The same is with the Eucharist. If it is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, really, truly, why would you be treating it in a way that's not worthy of that reality? And that's the difference between the new mass and the and the and the the ancient mass. The ancient mass knew that reality and promoted it. I don't know what the Novus Ordo, I, I don't know. I'm 72 years old, and I've seen this for the majority of my life, the Novus Ordo. And I offered that Mass as, as, as devoutly as I could. I always use the Roman canon. And, 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 try, and you're, you're going to think I'm a little bit crazy, but of course you know that already. Otherwise, you wouldn't have me on the show. I, this is going to sound awful. And I, and, I, and I can hear some bishops who are going to be listening. They're going to cringe with this. When I knew that we had to give communion in the hand, and I had to because it was it was the law. <laughs> Curiously, John Henry, 
curiously, we had to give communion in the hand. And in canon law, it was a mortal sin. They hadn't changed canon law yet. It was a mortal sin to touch the host, to touch the host. When I would have to give communion in the hand because it was it was now the law of the, of, of the land, I, in the genuflection before we gave out communion, I asked our Lord's pardon. Every time I genuflected to give to distribute communion, I said, I'm sorry to have to do this. I'm sorry, forgive me. And and we because because I, I knew it was going to be mistreated, mishandled, miss everything. Uh, but it was out of it, I couldn't do anything about it. Couldn't do there was there, and there are so many priests who are in the same situation. We know and we knew that there's something wrong, but we could not act otherwise. We had an idea of obedience, which is one of the good things that's happening today is we're re-examining that whole idea of obedience. We're, we're re-examining it and, and coming to some, some different conclusions, some, some healthier conclusions, uh, even for priests with, with bishops and things. Just a minute. The bishop can't ask me to do things that are wrong. Your love for Jesus and the Holy Eucharist is so evident. And let's pray that it, um, it stirs many people, many hearts to... Love him more in the Blessed Eucharist, even in this time, in the darkest of times, as you were mentioning, we'll understand it fully in heaven, but the scriptures hint anyway. I think it's Romans 8, 28, but it talks about how all things work for good for those who love him. So even in these crazy times, this hell that the church is going through will somehow work for good for those who love him. It will. It will. It will. And we have to... We... We have to hold on to that because this is what Christ himself told us. And he is no liar. He told us, hang on, make it to the end, hang on. And this is what we do. And you know, for, for those who are old, old like I am, thank God that you knew the church before. Thank God that you knew the church before, before 1965. Thank God you did. You had an experience of something Marvelous, marvelous. It can only get better. I'll tell you, this is the thing, the, 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 the thing with the state of the church today, it can only get better. God bless you, Father. Thank you. Thank you, John Henry. God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this video. And to see more like this, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. So check out our links in the description to read more, sign up for our newsletter, and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all of the latest life, family, and culture news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.